Good morning, everyone. Susan and I got a chance yesterday to go to the oldest fair in the United States. Anybody know what that is? Topsfield? Anybody agree with me on that? There are several other responses. Maybe I can't hear that well, but uh, no, it wasn't Indiana. It was Topsfield, Massachusetts. Um, so we had, we had fun, and everybody stayed away because of the rain and the cold. It was just a, a perfect night for us. And I, I, I felt like I'd gone back to my childhood. My mother won best calf in 4-H club when she was a child. And uh, so that was, a, that was before my childhood, actually. But uh, um, it's a part of the story in our life, going to all these farming things. Confused looks on your faces, yes. Uh, but anyway, we had fun last night. And uh, wake up this morning nice and crisp and, and fresh here, beautiful. Well, I'm going to make a, a statement and I'm, I'm, you know, this is a pretty educated crowd, and I'd like you to finish this line. America runs on? All right, you're in New England, you know what you're talking about. Well, what we're going to be going through this month is the, the book of First Thessalonians. And the message out of this that we're drawing is that the church runs on depth. Out of that depth, Paul kind of pulls out this illustration of faith, hope, and love. We're going to hammer on, on this word. Really believe that our goal, I, you know, it's really a, a deep desire in my, my own life since I was a child. I was in church since I was really young. <laughs> Before I was born, my father was a pastor, my mother's pastor's wife. So I was, I've been in a lot of meetings. But maybe the, the familiarity of that came against me in, in such a way that it was, there was a dullness to it. And it felt somewhat shallow at times. So early on in my life, I had this strong desire that our life with Jesus, our life together, would be marked by depth. It wouldn't just be an event. It wouldn't just be a tradition. It wouldn't just be a formality. But it would be something that would be not only core in our lives and our relationship with God, but it would be a place that deep, trusting, vulnerable community would be established. Now, why do I uh, say First Thessalonians? Why do we pick this? It's interesting. It was out of a conversation with one of our missionaries. And they were using this book to train leaders in a context where they were reaching people that had never heard about Jesus before. And it was happening quickly. It's interesting. You know, that uh, the gospel, so often when, when we share with people over a long period of time, we see this example in First Thessalonians, you can see nothing happen, nothing, nothing, nothing. Then, boom, the gospel catches fire in someone's life and it spreads quickly. So this deep thing was happening quickly in my friend's life. And this is what we see out of 1 Thessalonians. There was a depth of impact and relationship that happened. And it happened, uh, and I'll explain in a minute, kind of the speed of all of that. And then it happened in a way 
where Paul says in the third verse of 1 Thessalonians, he talks about faith, hope, and love. That pattern's repeated in a couple of other sections of the Scripture. But he says, we remember before our God and Father, your work, he's talking to the Thessalonians, produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. So there may be some times as I'm going through this uh, that I, I bounce back and forth between these illustrations. When I'm talking about deep, the biblical example of that is faith, hope, and love. And <clears throat> I'm going to be talking kind of based from the perspe- perspective of the, the first of those words, faith, today. And then next week, it's, it's about this endurance, this hope. And then the last two sessions, Phil Masterson is going to speak. It's, it's about depth of, of relationship and then depth of the purity that protects those relationships. Now, this is a short book. You can listen to it. How many of you have a Bible app or something on your phone? Played it multiple times, 12 minutes, five chapters. You can play this. Read it aloud by yourself, 12 minutes. It's fast. And um, it's... It doesn't have what many people perceive as the theological weight of a book like Romans or Ephesians, but there's, it's a great example. And there's, uh, it's a, a message that was going to a church that Paul had only been with for a brief period of time, and he had to leave. And so he has a burden for these people, like, wow, something powerful happened in your life, and uh, a little bit worried for them, concerned, okay? And he, he was concerned realistically because when he was there, it was intense. There was persecution. It was a big challenge. So he's wanting them to hold on to this gospel. And got a little bit more background. Sam Sweeten, jump up here. Grab that mic. And Sam's going to give us kind of a, a timeline context of this message. Yeah, thanks, Mark. Um, So I'm Sam, and I get to give a very, very brief summary of Paul's second missionary journey as seen on this map. It's kind of complicated, but we'll try to keep it brief and simple. Um, So Paul's second missionary journey follows after his first missionary journey, which began out of Jerusalem into Antioch. Um, And so in Acts 15.36, it says, um, pull that up real quick. Um, after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. So his second missionary journey begins just hoping to follow up with some of the churches he had began um, in his first missionary journey. So if you go back to that map, that was in the area there was modern-day Turkey. This is like Greece, Israel, Syria. Uh, so while he's in Lystra was one of the cities where he met actually Timothy for the, for the first time. And from there, they're like, okay, let's go. Let's go do something new. They want to go up to the area called Bithynia, but it says the Spirit of Jesus actually prevented them. And in a vision at night, he gets this vision for Macedonia, which is way over there. And so in Macedonia, Philippi is the first place he lands, which is from the book of Philippians. Um, And there it gets really interesting because he starts proclaiming the word of God boldly, and they start persecuting him because of some healings and things. And they actually send him and his disciples to prison. And there he knows a famous story where they start praying, the prison starts shaking, and they escape. So like, all right, we have a little group started, let's move on. So that's what takes them, takes them to Thessalonica. And that's where the book of Thessalonians comes from, from this church. And it gets even more intense in Thessalonica. They're there, they start proclaiming the word of God, they start speaking in the synagogues. And it says they're only there for three Sabbaths, so like three weeks, 
teaching in the synagogues. And because of their message, they make the leaders so angry that they're proclaiming Jesus as Lord, they are actually kicked out of the city. Um, and it says that the, that the people are actually accusing them of proclaiming another king uh, other than Caesar, that is Jesus. So like, all right, let's go to Berea. And in Berea, they actually say the people receive the, God, the word of God even more. But in there, the people from Thessalonica actually have chased them all the way to the city of Berea. And they're like, oh my goodness, but they've been there for a little bit. So they actually have a church started. And so that leads them all the way to the city of Athens. And so we see this pattern of them going, proclaiming the word of God boldly, that not only um, like impacted people's lives, but led them to proclaim a whole new king, Jesus. And in that place, it led them to effect that they would be kicked out of these cities. And they end up in Corinth and, and then to Ephesus. And they finally return home. But all of this trip, you know, these many cities they went to, only took two years, between like AD 49 and 51. And so it's only like 20 years after Jesus, but this message has been proclaimed throughout all of these regions. And so that's kind of the context we're walking into with the book of Thessalonians. Awesome. Thank you, Sam. Look. All right. I love that. So here's what Paul is, is traveling with the gospel. He's not saying, I'm going to camp out and be here the rest of my life. He's going and he's looking for what God is doing. A number of these places... This same guy that has seen all these miracles happen, has had this revelation of Jesus, has written much of the New Testament, that is this amazing apostle, he goes into a town, nothing. And goes to another place, nothing. And then the Holy Spirit says, come over to Macedonia. And, uh, and what would happen, you go into a city and begin to preach. So often he'd go to a synagogue. He'd go first to the Jews and then... His uh, respect in that whole process, there'd be some response, but then rejection. Then he'd go to the Gentiles, and often what Paul would have simultaneously is a revival and a riot, and uh, it's so interesting. In this story, Jason, at the, as, after all of this three weeks, a short period of time, one of my thoughts of this sermon was how to plant a church in a month. That's the pace that he was living at. Now, we have to redefine church. We're not talking about buildings and systems and all this organizational structure. We're talking about a handful of people, several families, walking together in obedience to God's Word and in life with each other. So Paul's here in First Thessalonians, in, in Thessaloniki, and his entire house church is thrown into jail. So this is our plan for the future for our life groups. <laughs> Going to live radical lives here. Uh, well, uh, it's interesting. They were looking for Paul, trying to grab him, break into this house, take everybody to the house, put them into jail, go through this whole legal process. And while the disciples say, Paul, Silas, Timothy, get out of town. We're sending you over to Berea. So this is, this is what we're living in the middle of. And if we want depth, so this is where we're going. We want this type of church like we see in Thessaloniki. We want this type of, I don't know, maybe I'm maybe inviting you into something you're not ready for. But are you willing, if you say, I want this depth, I really want to experience this, what does it mean? That's what we're getting in 1 Thessalonians. So what does it mean? 
The depth means a powerful impact of the gospel in your life. Paul knew exactly what he was talking about. He's been, he, on the road to Damascus, he had... Uh, not, some of you would really like this. I'm not sure if you would or not. Get, uh, but audible voice of God. Boom. He falls down blinded, is taken into the city, prayed for, and is healed. He was marked by power. He had a story to tell. He, didn't, he wasn't just transferring a philosophy. He wasn't just a teacher of interesting information. He said, I was lost and then I was found. I had an encounter with God. There was a, the, uh, so often when God deals with you like that, you may say, I want that, I want that. Then there is a, he who's been given much, much will be required. There's a, there's a substance. You're not just asking for an experience. I want you to ask for experience. How many of you want to be powerfully impacted by the gospel? Zero resistance. Sometimes I pray this. Zero resistance to you, Holy Spirit. Mark me as deeply as I, as I can possibly handle it. Not as much as he can do, but as much as I can take. So Paul was influenced by the power. In 1 Thessalonians 1, 4, he says, We know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he's chosen you. Preach, preach, preach nothing. And then, because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and deep conviction. How do we know people? How do we know God's working in someone's lives? You can see it. You know how many times I'm talking with someone and they begin weeping? Something, there's a conviction happening. And I may not, I'm not saying something hard. They're impacted by God, by what he, His Word, what He is saying. So if we want something that is deep, if you want a gospel that is deep, if we want a life that is deep, you're asking for conviction and deep repentance. You want the power and also, Lord, let your word cut my life deeply. Let it not just be information that I'm hearing. Let it not be words printed on paper. Lord, I, I ask that you would... Bring me to the verge of tears as I read your word, that I would see the reality and the depth of it. We're not just agreeing with philosophy and a set of rules. We're agreeing with the character of God. And the disciples here in Thessaloniki, it wasn't just an information exchange. Their character changed to the point that they were persecuted, thrown in jail, and they kept walking joyfully. They didn't say, oh no, why did that happen to me? They said, we are honored to suffer for Jesus. Now, this impact of the gospel, I'm going I'm to share a couple of points today that we want to be repeating again and again in the life of our church. And that is understanding what the gospel is. We would call it evangelism or the, the sharing of good news. Sometimes evangelism doesn't have a good word. A name in our culture is not understood well, but it's just talking about that transfer that's happening, the life of God coming into each one of us, and us being able to just share that with people. It's a gift. It's not bad news. It is the best thing that could ever be told another person. And the other part we're going to get into is a phrase, it's discipleship is the word, but I'm talking about an imitatable model, okay? That's in the core 
Discipleship is being a model, living this life out, and then understanding how to see that happen in somebody else. So the gospel, in simplicity, we've had, we worked on this a lot for the, uh, actually, the last couple of years, a lot of conversations. We say it like this, relationship, brokenness, and restoration. Jesus had a, and if you're with somebody at lunch, get out your paper napkin and your pen and just draw a circle. And put yourself in the middle of that circle. And the top, it says relationship. But God intended us to have a relationship with himself. And out of that relationship is, is actually a healthy perception and understanding of, of who you are as an individual. A healthy relationship with God and a healthy perception of yourself gives you a healthy relationship with others. You're treating them out of uh, not just a set of rules, but the depth of not lying, honoring, being faithful, having, having a purity in your life. All of that brings healthy relationships. And then a healthy attitude toward nature, toward the environment, to the world around us. God initially gave Adam responsibility, authority in, in nature to rule over uh, all that was around him. But when we broke when we break our relationship with God, when it, that was broken with Adam and Eve, everything else became broken. And we all have these broken places in our lives. It's not, again, so much of the time, what is it that people go to immediately? Whenever you start talking about Jesus, they're thinking about religious systems. And we have to fight back for that again and say, no, 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 it's a relationship. He wants you. You can't follow him and do these things unless he is filling you with his life and character. So we're broken. And the only way to restore, we've destroyed nature. We've destroyed each other. And we have, we have brokenness within our own lives. But as we come back to God, as we restore, so relationship, brokenness, and then restoration, our hearts with God, he gives us forgiveness so that we can forgive the people around us. And I believe also to honor the world we're living in and to, to walk in personal wholeness. So that's, that is the gospel. It came through Jesus Christ, the perfect one. He restored that relationship. Now, they heard that gospel. It had powerful impact on their lives. And then they imitated. It's fascinating. Now, let me explain as we're getting into this. Imitation is not having your life together, but rather being open with your life. What do I mean by that? I was talking with the, the elders just this morning about my, our lives as parents. Susan and I have four amazing children. Amazing Grace is with us this morning, and uh, uh, we've been through many seasons of our lives where it was hard. It's not a smooth road. Everything was not perfect in our relationship with each other, in our relationship with our children, or in their relationship with God. But our goal was not... We are not living our life within our home or outside of our home, saying, aren't we 
perfect-looking family? Don't we have our act together? We have conflict. And our children have seen us have conflict and, uh, hundreds of times. And what, what I do is I tell them, hey, since they were little, hey, mommy and daddy get to the other side. We have feelings. We get hurt. We struggle. But we get to the other side because of the grace of Jesus and because we forgive each other. So this imitation, the point that I'm making with you today is not, again, not a set of rules, but this life that we're living openly before God and openly with each other. We're not living a static, Facebook, perfect moment. Someone say, Praise God. You know? But we are we're learning to work through everything that's coming in us into our lives, and we're living in these textured emotional processes of our, our dynamic and relationship with God. So Jesus did this, right? When he discipled, when he trained up the people living with him, he did this 24-7 thing for three years. Now, you can hold your breath for a couple of hours on Sunday morning, look good, and make it out the door. You can't do it for three years. <laughs> you know? You can't do it sometimes just for a few hours overnight or a weekend. We do these things. We have trips that we take on together, and the, the reason that we do that is because we believe this life is to be transferred in a deeper way. In Paul's example, he, the very first verse is Paul, Silas, and Timothy. It's a team that was traveling around. There were others with him as well, but they, they did everything together. In this context, you know, it's like, who's paying for tonight's meal? I'll take it. You know, they were sharing this life. And um, it was a vulnerable thing. 1 Thessalonians 2.5, Paul talks to these, these guys. And he said, never once did we try to win you with flattery, as you well know. And God is our witness that we were not pretending to be your friends. This is the New Living Translation. We were not pretending to be your friends just to get your money. As for human praise, we have never sought it from you or anyone else. As apostles of Christ, we certainly had a right to make some demands on you. But instead, we were like children among you. We were like a mother feeding her infant child. feeding and caring for other children. We loved you so much. I love, I like this, okay? This is, this is Paul's definitive statement of taking his ministry away from a pulpit, away from formal public communication. He said, we didn't just share the gospel with you. We shared our lives. We're in this with you. We're, we're not doing this because of there's a, some sort of formal organization. We love you. We care about you. You affect us emotionally. Now, for Susan and I, we've, 
I don't know how many people we've had live in our home. 15 to 20 people have, have been in our home that are not members of our family. They've lived up to as long as two years. And you just don't hold your breath during that time. A number of you have done that very same thing. You invite people into your home. And it's, it's not... Uh, I mean, they're, they're, it's okay for it to be for financial reasons. Or some of it is just we want, we really do want to open up our lives. And it's, it's amazing to me when uh, this happens many, many times. And you know what I'm, many of you know what I'm talking about. Someone is with you for an extended period of time and they say, we're just so, I've never seen it lived out. I've never been with a family where I got to see them try to struggle and make this happen. And that's, that's why we do this, is because we want to be seen, we want to be known, we want this depth. And, and this is why we do things in, in our whole Antioch world. A lot of the structures that we do with our mission trips, retreats, our training schools, all of this came from a desire to take it to the next level. I, I remember thinking about this. I was a college pastor in the early 80s and trying to, I, we just had a kind of a Sunday school program and we did different things and social events. That's a diesel engine right there. We had different things that, that went on and I thought, I remember going to camp when I was a kid. What was great about that? Why was it good to be gone for a week? It was because we put aside everything else, and it all became about relationship. So we had, uh, we had ski trips. We started doing ski trips. That was fun. But I thought, let's, let's do camp and ski trip in another country and serve together. So it wasn't skiing, but the concept was... We took a bunch of people down to Mexico. And I remember one of our first trips, there was a really, gosh, what year was it? 80, 86, the, the uh, earthquake in Mexico, uh, 85. Uh, much of Mexico City was devastated. And we went down there and didn't know a lot about how to help people or what to do. But the power of being in the middle of that together transformed our relationships. So yes, we're traveling together, we're offending each other and forgiving each other. You're late, why aren't you on time? How well, you know, what'd you do to, you know, you made a mess of the room, I'm sorry. All of these things, learning how to do all this together moved it deeper. And we started taking longer trips. And we started a training school. Our discipleship school was modeled on youth with a mission. Susan and I had developed a relationship with a number of leaders in that season, and uh, I'd been to a couple of their schools with other people that are teaching in these schools. So Youth with a Mission is a global missions organization, and what their primary program is, is a three-month uh, lecture phase and a three-month outreach. So they live in community. They live in these, these bases where they have a lot of houses in a close proximity or a piece of land out somewhere. They eat breakfast lunch, dinner, have classes all together, serve, someone's cooking, someone is, is uh, washing the dishes. Susan and I went through one of these programs in a really dangerous, ugly place called Kona, Hawaii. 
And, um, uh, and, but you, you, you went through the teaching in a deep way together. You weren't just kind of going and do it. You went and did that, and then you were living next door to them. You were working and, and making dinner and, and washing the dishes. And then we traveled together. And by that time, we're in our 30s, and we're traveling with families. And we were doing internet. We did an international trip with about 18 adults and uh, more children than that. Living in, in houses for temporary periods of time. Now, just imagine you're in Southeast Asia in a bungalow, this huge house that we rented, and there's a different family in every neighborhood. We got on each other's nerves. Huh? Yeah, a different family in every room. So we, we did actually have some space, except for the first night. Susan and I were with another family in one room together. And uh, they got the bed, we got the floor. It changed our lives because of this close interaction. It brought depth. So this is, this is what we do with our training school. Training school is gone this weekend. Where are they? They're on retreat. They're sharing their lives. They're listening right now to The Far, The Heart of God by John Dawson. It's a very vulnerable teaching about how God's character is perfect and ours is not. And his, his unconditional love for us, it melts, his word melts our heart, and we deal with each other. They're going to be doing an outreach in another month. They're going to be going, I think, into Indonesia this next summer. And every bit of that process is bringing us into depth of discipleship. So often we're thinking impact, but it is about our lives being shaped. Something recently, I, I'm thinking about, we've had a lot of uh, natural disasters recently, and one of our churches in Houston, has uh, done restoration, like full demo, and taking uh, whatever it takes to get a house kind of back down to zero, over 200 homes in Houston. And we've had teams from Antioch churches all over the, the place go in and stay there a week. So a group of people travel together and serve and are involved in each other's lives in that process. And they come home and they say, we want to do it here. How can we serve our lives more closely together? How can we impact the world around us more powerfully together and not just live in our own little bubbles? Houston happened, Florida happened. And both of those situations, I kind of looked at them and I thought, you know, I did hear great reports, good things. Should we go down there? I don't know. And I, I'm going to lob a big one out there. I. Uh, I haven't heard of anybody talking about Puerto Rico. If someone feels like they want to take a handful of people down there, maybe we can pray about that. Because we want, to, we want to be involved. We see something broken. We want to bring restoration. We want the life of God to be happening. And I tell you, whoever goes, it'll be crazy. And it'll change your life. Because we're not just going for entertainment. We're going for a holy purpose. And we're going knowing that we're going to get more out of it than we give. So that's, that's why we do this. This is why Jesus lived the way he lived. This is why Paul interacted with the believers in 1 Thessalonians in their homes in this vulnerable way. And this is why we do this. Because we're looking for a depth to happen in us and to happen through us. So... There's a, 
there's a practical way that this happens. And even, even though you have all the information, you have an understanding, or, you, or even though you've got an experience in your own life, you need to have a grid for how the gospel is reproduced in others. And I asked Bree Curley to share with you guys something, again, that we're doing. This relationship, brokenness, restoration, that's this gospel. And what we have on this side is a simple process for multiplying your life. Cool. Um, so some of you have heard this before, um, and th- this kind of is the, m- the model, the structure of how we do discipleship. So we, we talk about going on these mission trips and doing these deep dives in relationship, but there's, we have jobs. We go to school, right? There's something that we need to do on a consistent basis to make time in our schedule to meet with one another. And so if you find someone who's interested in Jesus or if there's people around you saying, hey, we, we want to be in the word together. We want our lives to be reproduced in one another. But how do we do it, right? Discipleship is this big church word. What does it actually mean? This is kind of a structure and model. And so um, three words, same with me, relate. Relate. Reflect. Reflect. And respond. Respond. And so this is just a really simple structure of what you can actually do in a discipleship meeting. And so this first part, relate, is all about relating with one another and about relating with God. And so that's, and, and if some of you have bookmarks, they're kind of floating all over the room. You're maybe sitting on them with your yellow sheet. Um, that's kind of the process on this, and we can get more of these for you. The first part is just connecting with one another. Hey, how are you doing? I heard your mom was sick. How, how is that going? How's everything in your family? You're just connecting with the other person that you're doing this with. The next thing is vision. We want to connect with whoever we're discipling to, to what God has for them. Hey, as we meet together, we're not just doing this to have a fun Bible study, but we're doing this because the word of God is living and active. And as we commit to living this out, your life is going to be transformed. My life is going to be transformed. And the people around us are going to be experiencing transformation. You're connecting them to the why of um, why you're meeting. The next thing is just connecting with God. So that can just be submitting your time together to Jesus. That can be prayer. That can be worship. That can be being thankful to the Lord or reading a psalm. It's, it's just connecting with God in some way together. And the last thing is debrief, right? We want our discipleship meetings not just to be, hey, how are you doing? But we want to hold one another accountable to what God is calling us to do. And so it's a time where we can say, hey, you said that you wanted to forgive that person who's um, hurt you. How did that go? What's that process been like, right? We want to hold one another accountable, not to rules, but to what we commit to before the Lord so that we can walk together. And then the next part is this reflect section. So that's where we get to dive in the word of God together. And we, we use this um, uh, method called discovery Bible study. And on the back of our bookmark, I'm not going to go into it, but the first part we call the discovery lesson. So those first six lessons are awesome. If if you're meeting with someone or you're saying, hey, who is Jesus, right? It, it's giving them a Christian kind of framework for the world and, and the kind of a biblical literacy for who Jesus is and what he's called us to. And then the last 10 lessons are just kind of core values of our church and biblical values that we're saying, hey, as you're beginning to walk with Jesus, these are 
some core things we want you to have. So in this section, it's just simply meeting with one another and letting the word of God speak for itself. It's saying, hey, what does it say about God? What can we learn about him? What, what can we learn about who we are and how we're supposed to live? And then how do we respond, right? And that's the last section. That's the response section of saying, hey, based on this passage of scripture, what do I need to incorporate into my life? How can I obey God based on what he's saying in this passage? And then the next part in that is reaching out. Who in my life needs to know this, right? Mark has been talking about um, the gospel isn't just for us, but it's for all of those around us. Who, who can I reach out to and who needs to know about Jesus or what I've learned today in our meeting? And then the last thing is prayer, right? We know that we cannot do what the Bible says on our own strength or we all would be doing it already, right? <laughs> we need the power of God to equip us to do the good works that he's prepared for us in advance. So that's just a time of praying for one another to be filled with the Holy Spirit to be able to respond to all that he's called us. So that's a really quick version kind of of what we've called three-thirds or relate, reflect, respond for our um, discipleship. Thank you so much, Bree. Excellent. can't imitate and model, model if you don't understand it. So we have this simple pattern. You want to share the gospel with people? This is a simple structure. You can remember this. You can share this. If you want to impact somebody's life, if you want to be a model that's reproducing, if you want to disciple people, this is a simple biblical pattern that you can look at and say, hey, Let's, let's get together. Let's talk. Would you like to study the Bible together? Would you like to, to have this discussion and, and build some accountability so that we've got a little bit of traction in our lives? This is what we're doing. In the front is the form, and the, the back is the content. The content is the Bible. It's not, you don't have to spend a lot of money on, on books, tapes, video teachings. We just take Scripture and we process that together. In the sixth verse, First Thessalonians, first chapter, you became imitators of us and of the Lord. In spite of severe suffering, you welcomed the message with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, your faith in God has become known everywhere. So, what we see as an example here is as they, they became this clear model that was multiplying, the gospel went boom, went out all over the place. If we want to run, if we want momentum, if you want to see increase, go deep. Don't spend all of your energy. <coughs> spend all of your energy. But don't get caught in our culture and in our lives of, oh my gosh, I, I barely survived September with the new year getting started. I'm exhausted. and We've got to do all this stuff. No, we're not asking more stuff, Lord. We want more depth. We want this reality. We want this substance that can be a model, that can be imitated, that can bring the breadth and expansion. I want to ask the worship team to come up here. We're going to have a time just to respond a little bit.
And I, I, uh, you know, the Holy Spirit speaks to us when we're together. And I, just like he did to Paul, I, uh, you know, nothing might happen right now, but I, I want to pray. I feel like in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it talks about words of wisdom, words of knowledge, prophecies, gifts of healing. There's different ways that the Holy Spirit comes. We're asking for that kind of impact to be happening in the life of our church. And I want, I want to ask him to do that. Uh, so I'm going to stand in a moment, but I, while well, I have your attention right now, I'm going to pray that some of you would have some impressions or, or God would give you gifts to give to others by His Spirit. And I want those people, if you feel that prompting, you feel like God's moving in my life, or I, you know, all you have to do is feel like, I think that's me. I want, I feel like God is doing something. He's going to give me something if someone comes up. I want people to come who want to give. And then I'm going to, after they're here, I'm going to invite those who want to receive. You're saying, I'm in a place where I need something. I need some power from God. And we're going to ask him to encounter our lives significantly. warfare you can do is to turn from darkness into the light, to come turn from a life of confusion and pain and say, Jesus, I, I give you everything I am. I want, I want also to specifically give that ability to respond this morning. If you want to pray with someone about knowing Jesus, if I give your heart to him, I want you to come up. So let's stand right now.